Production. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba to news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 337, is recorded live. August 3rd, 2017. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we have lots of people or visitors, and some of them are going diving. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing very well, thank you. Glad to be here. And Kevin is out diving, or at least attempting to dive, so I don't think we'll see him on tonight. But I'd like to thank everybody who's been listening, downloading, commenting on the program. You certainly appreciate it. I'd like to thank Eric, who's in the, the chat room. We also have guest number four, and uh, Flyboy Ned just popped in. So it looks like the Thirsty Thursday dives must be winding up, and people are making it into the chat room. Um, let's let's go ahead and knock uh, scuba the news out of the way, and then we'll get to talking about some diving that actually did happen, at least around here. So the first article, and this is one that you gave me, Mac, was uh, there wanted new ideas for protecting Great Lakes from Asian carps. This one's out of Lansing, Michigan. They said if you've got an original idea for keeping Asian carps from reaching the Great Lakes, it could earn, earn you some good money. Michigan's invasive carp challenge is underway. The governor, Rick Schneider, says that the state is accepting proposals for shielding the lakes from the invasive fish, uh, fish, which has infested the Mississippi River watershed. Scientists say if they become established in the lake, they could crowd out prized native species. Scientists and engineers have been working on the problem, but the state wants to inspire creative thinkers uh, to come up with their own innovative solutions. Officials will accept proposals in any phase of development from concept to design to field-tested models. Written proposals will be accepted through October 31st. One or more winners will share up to $700,000 in cash awards. And I have to say, I'm kind of surprised how much money they're willing to put for an award. Now, I wonder if the details of that, if you're the solo winner, is that $700,000 for your idea, that $700,000 for you to implement your idea? I don't really know. It would be interesting to see the uh, fine. Also interesting. A, I was, was going to say, say if that's a prize, I mean, if that's a idea, that is, I mean, that's like X prize territory. That's excellent. With all the hoorah about, well, they're not really going to invade us, depending on which side of the argument you're listening to, to the side that, well, he canceled all, meaning the president canceled all the extra funding for the EPA aspect for Lake Michigan. You know, mm-hmm. between those two, where'd they get the $700,000 from? Well, they haven't spent it yet. Is that, is that kind of like writing a check? You don't have to cash, you know, it's not unpaid until they cash it? I don't know. I mean, it'd be very interesting to see some of the ideas, if there's any novel ones. Uh, and it would be really interesting to see how far you would have to develop your idea to be eligible for a part of the prize? Yeah, that might be uh, some homework that we can do, maybe have an update. But that, I, it seems like that could be useful in getting some people to look at it. Yeah, and if it's just always... for the, 
And I was going to say, if it's just for the idea, if you're a high school, like, like my robotics team, you know, take two, I mean, that could 700,000, that could fund us for gosh, 15, 20 years. I was looking for the article I actually read, which is more detailed than that. Uh, let me look here real quick. Yeah, this is from the John Poles, the uh, state senator. An Asian carp invasion of Great Lakes would be nothing short of catastrophic, and it would change forever the way life along Lake Michigan is now established. Uh, I was looking at this here. I was, there was more of the article than what was on this one here, but I didn't see any details on where would you go get uh, more information on submetal. Okay. Now, uh, this one here, it talked about the challenges about attracting new ideas to help inspire, create, and enact an effective solution that will protect the Great Lakes from the economic and environmental disaster. Once registered solvers can see a described description of the challenge, review existing deterrent technologies for invasive carp, and submit their proposals um, and solutions. The invasive carp challenge comes only a few weeks after an eight-pound carp was discovered nine miles from Lake Michigan beyond the electric barrier that is supposed to keep them out. The challenge, uh, this challenge, offers everyone a chance to help us win the battle. For information, visit www.michigan.gov slash carp challenge. So we need to take a look at carp challenge to see what the details are. That is excellent. Well, we'll have to take a look. Well, you know, like you said, for a school project, college or otherwise, that looks like potential money there. Yeah, it's like almost, the thing is, it's not going to meet immediate needs, but it could go a long way for a long term. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to look at that a little later. I'm very curious now that I wrote where to go to take a look at the requirements. Well, let's take a look at this next article. Um, this one's local to Michigan. Uh, we had a shipwreck uh, recently. Shipwreck debris has been washing ashore at Ludington Beaches. Uh, the the yacht that is causing the, the debris uh, sunk three months ago. A 76-foot yacht was intentionally run aground Lake Michigan near Big Sobble Point. Big chunks of debris continue to wash ashore along Ludington's area beaches. Earlier this morning, a 30-foot section of the Tyka's hull washed up, but high water levels creating no beach to speak of. The state crews are handling the cleanup, had to wait before they could get heavy equipment onto the sand to retrieve it. Three weeks ago, we had a dishwasher wash up on the shore. Uh, this according to Ludington State Park Manager Jim Galley, whose staff has taken a position, a point position in cleanup. Stuff just keeps showing up. We're going to be dealing with this for a while. When the old bollyard yacht hit the sandbar on April 15 and quickly broke apart under heavy wave action, Park staff predicted debris in the beaches could be an issue for months or even years. Waves and sand work in tandem to cover and undercover and uncover objects very quickly in that area. And even just a short time after the wreck broke apart, large pieces of debris were found buried under a few feet of sand. It's not a big issue at Ludington State Park's popular beach, but anyone walking north toward Big Sable Point and beyond will want to wear shoes in the beach just in case screws are metal working in the sand. I don't remember ever seeing any articles on this before now. This is the first I had heard of it. <clears throat> the pictures are original. That's a freaking big yacht. I mean, yeah. and it looks like there's all sorts of stuff on it that could have been salvaged, but 
they say it ran ashore in three foot, not ashore, but on the sandbar in three foot. I don't know about intentionally run aground. That doesn't sound logical. Well, it, unless it was sinking and then they grounded it to keep from going down or. Well, it was sinking, but why not run it aground, you know, ashore? Hmm. Yeah. But I was looking at the rest of the article and some of the items are, because I was saying all they got to do is say, hey, divers, free salvage, and we'd clean it up underwater. But obviously it, it wasn't that deep because they already got the engines off. Yeah, it looks like they, they had originally set up a contamination boom around the, the boat or the vessel, uh, but within a few days it got pulled apart. Well, they said it's skeleton. They is left. Yeah, they said a salvage operate in June removed the engines, generator, bulkheads, and other pieces, large pieces from Lake Michigan, random items like that dishwasher and a thirty foot hull section, kept surprising the staff by washing ashore. Because especially if you pull a bunch of pieces out and you think you've got it, and then you get a piece that big, it's you wonder how did you miss it? Because thirty foot, that's uh, that's almost it's more than a third, almost half of the vessel's length. Of course, the hull section could just be one side. or. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the, the pictures I've got here, and it looks like it's it's definitely shallow, and wave action is going to beat the heck out of it. And we've had some heavy-duty waves the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we have. Uh, wind's been kicking some some surf up. I'm, I'm just surprised this is the first time I've heard of this. Yeah, and, and Ludington's not terribly far away. I mean, Michigan yeah. is a big state, but... That, that's right. That's right up north of us. You you'd have been on that. I'd like to see more pictures also. Let's keep an eye out for that as well. Well, actually, now I there did, is. Uh, did you gonna, did you see that section that says twenty items washed ashore? No, yeah, but if you go into the pictures and click on them, they blow up. Uh-huh. So you can see the one shot that looks like the water. It must be in thirty foot of water because the, just the top of the superstructure is left in this particular picture, and that's why the wave action. Is really beating the heck out of that. Yeah, so you, you've got a kind of the perfect scenario for the wave to be able to get the the biggest impact. Right, and then they had you some know, good you, pictures it, of the debris on the beach. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, it, was, it, was, it looked like uh, a bunch of splinters. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. There's no way you want to walk barefooted any, anywhere around no. that mess. Years to uh, to clean up because we. The wood, I mean, we've seen it with driftwood where you've got driftwood that's been floating for decades that's still pretty stiff. But all those small, sharp edges that you need to sand to work its man come down into a, a powder. And that's going to take a while. And then, and then screws, you're never going to get. Metal detectors out there getting those screws up for you. Not on purpose, but they'll be getting them up. Uh, picture 12 of 17, they got some heavy-duty equipment out there picking those per, the pieces up. That picture of the uh, bulkhead and the second engine, I don't know how they mean they recovered it, because if you look at the pictorial here, it looks like it washed ashore. Well, certainly interesting, and it, it just goes to show that uh, we're not done with shipwrecks. No, that would be worth worth it if you wanted just to do nothing more than look at the pictures. It's more impressive when you see the debris that they're talking about that's washed ashore. I'd be very yeah. concerned on that if I were, who's going to pay for that? Well, like they said, it looks like the park staff has picked up quite a bit. And then maybe you've got some, you know, uh, like my, when my grandfather had the marina, uh, it was amazing how many times they ended up being that sort of service. You know, in the absence of anybody to bill, 
and you kind of have a vested interest. You, know, you want to keep it uh, well. Keep I it would nice. I would think the boat owner is going to bear some of the responsibility for this. Just kind well, of I would a, think. Yeah, I would think that uh, if it was intentional, meaning that they were doing it as a as a form of vandalism, then uh, you would certainly be personally responsible. I mean, your insurance company might not cover you, but somebody should. And it didn't sound like it was intentional. It sounded like he got, uh, he had the Coast Guard come out to help him out, and it was sinking, ran aground in that shallow part, but not deep enough that when it sank, the wave action didn't beat it, beat it all the heck up. But that is a lot of junk. Well, as quick as it was for all that debris to show up, uh, some objects can take a little bit longer than that. Oh, wait a minute. Am I? Crap, I don't have that article. <laughs> Nothing like teasing something I don't have. Oh, here we are. I hit the wrong tab. You know, all these little tabs on browsers, you know, quite complicated. Um, on January 25, uh, Northwest Point had a nasty swell. Uh, dive tech owner Joe, oh my goodness. I'd call him Joe. Cutterwich? Just Joe. call him Joe. 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 Okay, we'll just say Joe. Hey, Joe. Uh, and this is from the. This is from the Cayman Islands now. Yeah. Northwest well, Point in the Caymans. But look at that name. That is not a Cayman Islands name, I'm not thinking. Well, no, that's that's uh, a expat who's went down there running the scuba business. Yeah. Yeah, somebody went from Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Poland, somewhere where, let's see how many. Uh, this one's not too bad. Uh, uh, consonants together. It's just that it's a long name and every other letter is a vowel. <laughs> But anyway, uh, Joe says one of the worst swells he had seen, crashing waves reach a spot where Dive Tech keeps its equipment, dragging a handful of scuba tanks, each of which weigh about 30 pounds, empty out into the bay. So these are some, I'm guessing, some aluminum 80s. Some of them lost ashore the next several days while divers recovered others. However, one drifted out to sea, presumably lost forever. So it came surprise when Joe, oh, for <laughs> Miss Joe, uh, when her business received a phone call last week from a man from a very unlikely place saying he found it Panama City Beach. They were shocked it made it all the way to Florida. I think at about $100, the dive tech owner said it's not worth the cost to ship the tanks back here. We'll just let it. We'll just let them keep it for the souvenir. Uh, plus mile journey makes it for a good story. Apparently, it also inspired others to see favor. I think I'd drop one of my tanks in the Gulf and see if it ends up at your place, Tampa resident. Read a Fitzpatrick Facebook page. Then you just keep it there. I'll keep coming down, pay for fills, and dive with you all. <laughs> As a side note, I'm, you're dropping out on me, so I'm not sure if that recorded. Oh, you, it, it, your words will record. Through, for, yep. And I'm it will still it. record for me. But, uh, you know, you're probably getting a little bit of a breakup, along with anybody who's in the chat room. See, I always sound good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the picture is pretty good, too. I mean, it didn't even lose the cap on its top. I just wonder if it yeah. still had a fill or if it was empty. Ah, that's a good question. And you see the barnacles on it. Yeah. It does look like, I'm not real familiar with that valve, but it looks like that valve may have taken a beating a few times. It looks like it might be angled a little down. Well, I can see the knob on the right-hand side. Yeah, that's where I'm at, the knob. Yeah, you had to look at it real close. That's a long way for that to drift. And I, I to plotted it out. Because the straight line distance was 800, and that obviously didn't go straight straight line because it would have gone right through Cuba. Uh, I'm sure that depending on what time of the year and the currents, 
that could go a long, long ways. What are the chances of that being recovered? You know, it's just like the balloon with a note in it. What are the chances? Well, well, part of what it is is that it gets recovered, but that the story gets back to the person who had it. You know, with Facebook and social media, you know, here, here he's got a, a sticker. You know, he's got an inspection sticker on a tank. So a little bit of effort, you know, a little Google search, you can find that out and you can post it. Quite interesting. Yeah. Normally we're hearing about cameras, this time a 30-pound tank. Yeah. Boy, but you think of how many, you know, if you're a boat, it's almost completely underwater. That could be a bad day. You're running a ski boat or cigarette boat out there and you hit that. And then if it was full, imagine if you ruptured it. That would that would be a soil moment. <laughs> It'd probably get your attention. I got to go back to my notes and see what the next one is. Uh, a shipwreck has been added to the recreational dives in Lake Champlain. 100 feet down in Shelburne Bay in the U.S., Lavalley tugboat sits upright and nearly perfect from air pressure upon the boats sinking 80 years ago. It's completely intact. The original paint and readable steel plow steam powered engine. Chris Sabic, archaeological diver of Lake Champlain's uh, Maritime Museum in Ferrisboro, dove on the 96. Full text of the article is not. It, oh, it says, oh, now it's telling me I have to log in. Well, forget that. So you'll have to figure it out yourself. I apologize for that. That is crazy. Normally, I, I get those blocked up. Made you think you were going to get to see it. Well, hang on a second. Yeah, I went to an alternate. It's the same item. You got to click it to get the rest of the story. Yeah, it's uh, the way things are getting now. Which I'm okay with, with reporters being... Uh, it just don't act like you're, everything's free. And then and this one is, seems to be a follow-up. We had talked about this wreck earlier on. It was uh, one that had been scuttled. I just sent you a better site with pictures. Oh, this this is for the... For that Lavalley. It mm-hmm. gives the history. It's a 1996 Lake Survey crew covered a total of seven kilometers in Shelburne Bay, located three wrecks. One of the wrecks was located in deep water in the area of the tugboat U.S. La Vallee, reportedly sunk in 1931. Uh, verified it was indeed that ship, found sitting upright, intact, in excellent condition. Wheelhouse had all the windows uh, blown out from the pressure due to the sinking. And then it goes through and gives a, a description of the history of the vessel. And now oh, we know nice. it's uh, identified diveable wrecks there in Lake Champagne. And with that means you have the GPS. You now know the depth. So you've got your maybe techie dive there, maybe. I'm trying to get a quick look. And how deep did they say that was? That said, from a historical, hardworking commercial vessels rarely received the public notice while performing their important but unglamorous duties. The situation was true of the Henry Lloyd and the U.S. La Valley. The vessel's only public recognition arrives now when the boat is submerged wrecked, not during its half-century, which ended nearly 70 years ago. It talked about, though no logbooks or other daily records uh, of the vessel have come to light, a fairly complete record of the tug's service has been preserved in its enrollment papers and licenses. So it's quite interesting. Very nice. That isn't. I mean, did you look at the, the picture of the tug? It looks like, looks yeah. like a big, big tugboat. And it's it does. quite interesting. Yeah, because it's got a, like a secondary um, 
you know how you got your normal captain's quarters and steerage. Then it's got a little bubble, not a bubble even, but another little deck above it where the steerage must have been from. That'd be cool to find. And I it would be. Like you said, it's it's not a tiny tugboat. I'm always amazed how big many of them are. It looks bigger than the, what's what's the one? Is it the Wheeler that no, we uh, uh, dove out of Chicago? Not tugboat. Not the Wheeler's no wooden wreck. Yeah, that was a uh, what? One of the three or three or four that used to be on the Great Lakes. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think of the tugboat you're thinking about. Yeah, probably since I said it wrong. Yeah. Well, the North no, Shore is the one that's near us. That was. Oh, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, the North Shore. That's that's a lot deeper though. That's a tech dive. Oh no, no, the the North Shore. You're talking. That's the one that's in. Isn't that a tugboat? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the one that was over there. It's, we did the material service barge dive, left out of Hammond, but. Yeah, I know. And, I know where you're and at. And then now, that. But. Then there's that other. A small. It's barely a dive. Dive. Okay. Yeah. Well, I well my my memory starts to try and get up to speed for that. We'll hit this, which is they have hauled up the telegraph from the World War One Lusitania shipwreck. Divers have recovered the main telegraph machine from the Lusitania, the wreck of the center of the most infamous marine masters in the 20th century. Irish recovered and brought to the surface Tuesday, July 25th, and is now undergoing conservation on land. The bronze artifact, Heather Humphreys, Ireland's Minister for Culture Heritage. And the Galt lost you if you're still there. Uh, uh, talks you probably reset, and I can't connect to it. So we'll continue on without it. We had we had some good people in the chat room. David popped in, and they had quite a conversation going on. So, oh well, let me see if I can get things recording. So where, where was that? We, we were talking about the Telegraph. <laughs> yes, we were. Yeah, I, I I've lost the article for the. For those you may not notice, but we lost power for a little bit, and we're just coming back on. So everybody was in chat room. We had quite a few people were rolling in there. Dave Tonneman came around, and we had a couple more people, and it just it crashed, and I can't connect, and all sorts of fun. So we'll just leave. Well, the topic, I was going to say the topic was the telegraph from the World War I Lusitania was hauled up from the deep. And when you read the story, there's a lot more to it than what would initially be thought. Uh, the pictorial of the telegraph machine was, was interesting, but it really doesn't look that exciting. It looks like somebody's uh, rim off their car with a couple of spokes on it. That's about it. But they talked about, they recovered the main telegraph from the Lusitania, uh, the, at the center of one of the most famous or infamous maritime disasters of the 20th century. Irish heritage officials confirmed that the telegraph was recovered and brought to the surface Tuesday, uh, July 25th, and is now going integration on land. The bronze artifact was undamaged and in excellent condition, um, as I said. It's not that great, so I'm not quite sure how thrilled I would have been. I'm not sure I'd want it in my, my living room. It's not a telegraph as I normally associate them to be. And even though I'm on the right page, it won't reset for me either. <laughs> yeah. When it, when it, I first was searching for articles, I saw a telegraph. I'm like, well, what's so exciting about an old telegraph machine? I wasn't thinking of the uh, 
ship's telegraph. Yeah. Well, it came back here. It said, uh, Lieutenant was the largest ship in the world when it made its maiden voyage in 1907. It's bound for Liverpool after a transatlantic crossing, struck by a torpedo from a submarine uh, during World War One, sank in 18 minutes. Of the 1,962 passengers and the crew aboard at the time, 1,198 died, most from drowning and hypothermia. Uh, the ship is uh, 748 feet long, and it just shifted on me again. Let me find it again. I have no idea why the computer will not let me do that, or the site won't. The bottom line is brought it up. The item of controversy is last year it was being brought, uh, being brought up by a, a diver that was hired to do so. When it was coming up, the uh, lift bag broke, and they lost it. Meaning it went, of course, oh. fell down, couldn't find it. And uh, they really gave the, the group heck for trying to organize it like that because they did not have a maritime archaeologist aboard and available, which would have prevented this issue. So some divers were back out there, found it, marked it on the GPS, contacted them and said, hey, it's out here, do you want it? Ah. <laughs> and they said, yeah. So then they sent an archaeologist with them. And they recovered it, and that's the part of the story you didn't hear before. So, so, so lift lift bags don't break when archaeologists use them. It must not be. Or he he made sure it didn't do something. He had gorilla tape and put it around it or something. The gorilla tape. Yeah. But that was the real item. Is that this is the second time it's been recovered. So uh-huh. it must have been outside of the ship already. It was on the seabed when they recovered it this time. So somebody did all the work for him. They just relocated it and brought it straight up. Well, the thing with a with a telegraph or with a that that ship is fairly deep, isn't it? I believe it was. Yeah, I think it's a it's like the deep two hundreds or so. I'll, I'll let you. I was search. trying to find. I was find, uh, trying to find the picture again. Xfinity is not working really well right now. I think the internet's broken. okay. It, it's uh, seven hundred and eighty-seven feet long. Now lies on a starboard side at a depth of 300 feet, approximately 91 meters, off the coast of County Cork. A retired American venture capitalist, Greg Bemis, had been the sole owner of the wreck since 1982 and has occasionally clashed with the Irish government over his plans to explore the wreck and recover artifacts. Ooh, that's a lot more interesting. Bemis is uh, particularly interested in investigating the cause of the second explosion that rocked the Lusitania after the initial torpedo strike. And the reason that's important is they believe the Germans said it was carrying explosives, which yeah. therefore made it fair game. Right. Yeah. And there's another picture of it uh, being salvaged on July 25th. There seems to be more parts and pieces in that underwater shot than it, on the surface. And it said... Uh, Successful recovery of the telegraph comes after a failed attempt to raise the artifact along with its pedestal in July of 2016. Details of the Blotch mission came to light in March when an Irish parliamentary committee heard that a diver working on behalf of Bemis lost the telegraph in the left bag bringing the artifact to the surface burst. The London service was criticized for allowing private operations to go ahead without an archaeologist present. So, so the, a, the boat that he owns, they don't want him to be able to do anything with it. 
obviously there's a little confusion in the ranks there. I guess if he brought the contract from the insurance agent, they got nothing to say. Right. Yeah, because really he could could just clamshell the whole thing, bring it up in scrap metal. Sure he could. Yep. And if they pissed me off, I'd do that just to (laughs) – okay, maybe I wouldn't, but – Maybe I thread too to really. Piss It'd them be off. fun to bring the barge uh, out there and let the, the oh yeah uh, the boom go down a few times. Right. It said uh, recreational divers spotted the lost telegraph uh, last month. This month, marked out its position on the seabed. Bemis and government officials get approval for the artifact to be brought to the surface. This time, under the supervision of an archaeologist, according to the announcement. Bemis plans to put the telegraph and pedestal on display in a local museum along with other artifacts that have been recovered. So that in itself is interesting. But 300 feet down, recreational divers playing around. Woohoo! That'd be I'd call fun. that serious. I'd call that serious. I wouldn't call that recreational. Yeah. Yeah, well, to, to own a shipwreck like that, now I don't know what he paid for it. It may have been one of those loaded things where... You may not have wanted it because of all the strings attached. See if I can find what the rates of salvage cost on that. Oh, that's another story we didn't have. Oh, this is an even better picture, too. Uh-oh. I must send you something. As long as it's not, was it, strep that's going around? Yeah. Take a look at this one. Actually, it's really good because the headline picture is a picture of the Lusitania on the surface with tugboats. Really, really good shot. Okay, since 1982, he has owned the Lusitania, hard-charging venture capitalist and a diver, brought the salvage rights as an investment, figuring that the scrap value of the vessel, the steel, bronze, and brass, should be worth $12 million. And there's a really good article, because he to preserve a lot of the stuff. It's not like he's clamshelling it, but he's got the right to do that. He said, so far, the cost of the explorations long ago exceeded his potential return on the salvage investment. He has uh, descended to the wreck half a dozen times in scuba gear, submersibles, mini submarines, ad nauseum. Nice picture. And he's not a young dude either. No, I'm looking at this one, and that picture's from 2004. And he wasn't young in 2004. <laughs> but good if he's, he keeps diving. He's willing to put some money into it. Well, like I said, in the battle between preservation and property rights, preservation is currently winning. I'm not sure how that's true. If he has salvage for the other stuff, how? why is there a controversy? Well, right. And the, probably the reason there's a controversy is because he's a, attempting to uh, get some historic artifacts off it. Right. Uh, well, the key item here I like is, even one, of his, even one of his own attorneys says that Bemis can come across as an undiplomatic pain in the ass, and Bemis is proudly unapologetic about that. I'm good. <laughs> and like he said, they, um, to the authorities' instance, insistent that their only priority is to protect the Lusitania, Bemis replies, protect it from what? Hang on. Pop-up came up. Yeah. They are not protecting it from the ravages of the ocean, nor the fishermen nets, nor the pirates, but only protecting it from the owner and historical truth. As the clock ticks, salt and current erode the remains of one of the most historically significant shipwrecks of the modern era, second only to the Titanic. 
But in the standoff between Bemis and Dublin, neither side seems inclined to blink. And I would go with Bemis because he's trying to salvage stuff at his expense and bring it up. Now, is, do they say, is he uh, an Irish national? I, I didn't go that far. There's, there's tons of information here. This yeah. is really nice. Well, if you own it, he just needs to go out of a port, not in Ireland, and just go and do it. I mean, I, let, I let him send so the I, Irish Navy out and get him. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, I've got rights. I own it. Pound right. sand. Well, well, he basically says, Bemis is sure the Lusitania was secretly carrying highly explosive war contraband, including nitrocellulose for cotton. The Germans believe this, too, and that's why they sank it, they said. Uh, they abbreviated They call it the Lucy. Uh, and I, I probably have to agree. And maybe that's well, what the, that's what the stalling is, is every day they can stall it a little bit more. It's one little bit of information that can't get out. You don't want to change the war. That You know, you, you can't have anybody other than the victors be the nice guys. Well, it's like the, the Titanic is, is collapsing along itself, remember? They've said it's corroded a lot faster than they ever anticipated. There's a nice shot here. He's in a mini submarine on the side of the wreckage, which is going to hell in a handbasket. I say, let him take what he can salvage now before it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, the saltwater, she doesn't care. It's a nice article. I'm going to have to keep it and read a little, excuse me, read it a little bit later in detail. The ship's telemotor, that's a nice looking thing. That's, a, that's attractive. Yeah, if, if nothing else, people, I would advise that go to this website. It's fortune.com slash Lusitania. Greg, G-R-E-G-G dash Bemis, B-E-M-I-S dash legal battle. And uh, I think you'll find some very interesting reading there. Yeah, good article. I it, It's nice to get that other angle to the story. Seems like sometimes we only get reported what will fit on about a paragraph and a half. Yeah, this is a very, very large article we're not going to talk about here, but the pictures are on it, the history of it, and the debate upon salvage slash let it deteriorate in the saltwater currents. What do you want to do? I'd, I'd be very curious to see the the archaeologists, what, what is the, why would they prefer not to have any of that done as opposed to what he's doing? I think part of it is he gets to profit from it. Yeah. And he gets to write the books and the articles. And maybe they don't want to know it did have contraband on it. Yeah, it's, I just try to, to figure it out. It's, it almost sounds like the government wants to say that they own it, you know, that they can control it because they're the government. Which as soon as, I mean, that's my, get my political soapbox out. No, the government should be yeah. working for us, not that they get to tell us how. We're going to do things. Especially it's like the on item here that they don't own. Yeah. Well, they don't yeah, own I'm it, up. and it's a foreign object there anyway. That's it, not naturally occurring. You know. Yeah. Well, some of the articles here, it's like, on multiple occasions, Bemis has had to sue the Irish government for permission to explore his own wreck. One such case took him all the way to the Irish Supreme Court, which ruled in his favor. After the ruling, the government reluctantly approved his plan to cut a hole in the side of the ship and send an ROV inside with a camera. He was implementing uh, a plan he was implementing in tandem with the shooting of a National Geographic documentary. 
it, it this is really interesting. Yeah. And well, it, it just makes me wonder, you know, why do you support archaeologists archaeologists in this aspect? I, I don't understand, and that's why I need to read the whole article. Well, and they're assuming that he hasn't used them or paid for them. I, he just didn't when they were raising something. I mean, a, a simple salvage operation, you know, a telegraph. We know what a telegraph is. You're cutting it off the boat, and you're bringing it up, and you're going to restore it. Do you need an archaeologist for that? And I'm sure it kind of comes down to, are you an archaeologist? The answer is yes. Do you have to pay for an archaeologist? The answer is no. Well, I will come back to this, and I'm book, bookmarking this. This is nice. Yeah. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. Apologize to everybody who was in the wait, chat wait. room. What, what? Do you got one more? Do we have another one? No, you missed one there, buddy. What did I miss? Underwater attraction at a shipwreck park is a real dive bar. Oh, yeah, I, I kind of teased that one. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't have the article up, but I think this was that shipwreck that uh, – they make it sound like it was a, it's a new wreck. Remember the one where they had the uh, the casino all on the top of the deck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, this seems to be related to that. And I, what I was trying to figure out, and I don't have the article up anymore, but that it was uh, they had made a bar. The, the photo in it looked real interesting, like somebody had uh, made something fairly fancy. Uh, do you have the article there? Can you... I mean, is that what the intent was? I'm trying to, but I gotta somehow knock out the volume on it. They've got some kind of car. Okay, just finished running. It's whatever. It said this dive bar promises to draw patrons from all over the world, and not just for their mermaid bartender and other slippery characters. You will have to dive to get there. This bar on board a sunken tugboat is actually art for an artificial reef project designed to draw wildlife and scuba divers. We'll head to the watery depth at a scheduling August 19th, which is coming up. Uh, most would not think of a dive bar as an attraction, but this one uh, dive bar we're looking forward to opening. There won't be a jukebox or a sticky floor, but this just might be the best dive bar in South Florida. It's called a 107-foot tugboat called the Okinawa and will join dozens of ships sunk off South Florida in recent years. Uh, most in the interest of uh, protecting and promoting sea life. And you're right, this is the one that had the life-size sculptures mm-hmm. fashioned as a bar scene. So it sounds like it would be quite interesting. Uh, this was um, like the one designed by Dennis McDonald, who made the casino one aboard that 324-foot Lady Luck, which was, that was the one that was sunk a year ago. And this one's going to be between 45 and 70 feet down. Cool. That's a that's a nice distance. Oh, yeah, that's up to set. It's down uh, to the well within the recreational depth, even to the beginner divers. Sounds like this is his uh, third underwater art installment. The first was a recreation of 15 Easter Island-style heads. Sunk off the coast of sunk off the coast of Deerfield Beach in 2015. Then we heard about the last one, the casino boat, and now this one. Very nice. But to get there, you got to listen to a whole bunch that I couldn't turn off. <laughs> they're, they're making you pay to listen. Or to, to yeah, painfully. Painfully. Well, now I think we've we've done it. 
So thanks to Eric and Dave and everybody who showed up in the chat room that we weren't able to get back connected with. Uh, and for once, it wasn't TalkShoe's fault. I lost power here. Well, I think we should talk about some diving. I see a lot of people in the mud club have been getting out and getting wet. I understand that there were people who've, who've gone out to the, I think they've been to the Havana. They've been out on the Ironsides. Uh, they've been on Ann Arbor five. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. You can't get away from them. Yep. And they've been out. I think, uh, they were out tonight on the, the Marshall down out of uh, Michigan city. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear the visibility has been decent. I think, when I say decent, I heard it was 50 foot on the iron sides, not the iron sides, but the yeah. Ann Arbor five. Yeah. Yep. Uh, on the Havana, I heard it wasn't as good, but a lot of, a lot of the uh, timbers and stuff exposed and clean wood. Yeah. It's always interesting how there seems to be fresh wood almost every season. Right. Uh, they've been doing, of course, their normal training dives and fun dives at Lake Cora, uh, been at Pawpaw and, uh, the river is now open. Meaning we've been hitting that. I believe they had a river dive tonight again. And the visibility has been pretty decent. I mean, when I say there, you're talking five feet. That's fine for river. So if you're not getting wet, what's your excuse? You're, you're somebody like me who just <laughs> hasn't been able to figure out how to get any time in. This oh is August there, buddy. August. I don't know. It's, 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 I, I'm looking and I've, I don't have, I don't have a weekend available in August at all. Well, you have to dive on a Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Thursday. Well, Thursday. Yeah, maybe maybe I have to. Maybe we'll have to put the show on hold for a week so I can get in the water. Well, I've been going out on Wednesdays uh, with Big John uh-huh. because of the podcast. Yeah, and well, tonight maybe, he did go out tonight. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe a Wednesday. I might have to do a Wednesday. Wednesday's... It's about 50-50 for me as far as anything being planned or not. But Tuesdays are booked. Thursdays, because of this, are booked. Uh, uh, and then what's going on is it's we're coming up on fair. And my son, who does a lot of welding, we don't like him being in the shop by himself. Uh, I mean, he's good at it, but, I mean, he's doesn't – I mean, anybody really – uh, has to be careful when you're working by yourself with heavy machinery. I mean, this it doesn't care if you put a piece of steel in there, your finger. It's going through it all the same. So uh, that's taking up quite a bit of time. Yeah. Well, I usually, like I said, I, I get out. I have somebody at the house here so I can get a couple hours out. So it works out. And we do have, you know, the dive club picnic coming up on the 19th. That's, geez, that's a week after next, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's during fair, so I won't I won't be able to make that one. Right, you mentioned that, and then we got that ecology dive. Yep, the ecology dive I'm, I'm going to try and make. Uh, what weekend is that? I think that's the 23rd. I double check though before I put it. It's on the club site. Yeah, I think I can make it. I think I've already checked. I've got for robotics. We're doing fundraisers, and one of the things is working the concession stands at the Notre Dame home games. So. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. I, I won't get to watch it. And not that I'm a, I, I watch Notre Dame. I, I, I'm more of a Michigan State fan myself. So You either like Notre Dame or you detest them. There's no yes. metal ground for some people. Let's see. So uh, as far as diving, we got that coming up. You said we had the picnic. 
Oh, how'd the mud club meeting? Is that have we already? Yeah, we've had that too. I missed that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, uh, oh. I think we had seventeen, eighteen people. Oh wow, excellent. Yep, and then we went over to AJ's and took over that place. <laughs> we're gonna have to talk to them about letting us have our own room, though, because I mean we're so we're, we're blocking all their ways because we take that first booth and they had tables and even a little pathway so people can get the hell in and out. At least if there's a fire, we're gonna get to the door first. <laughs> we'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air one more year. If you like hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, you'll love WRVO Radio. They have all sorts of programs. To find out more, you can go to our website, www.scubobsess.com. Scroll on down to the footer and click on the link. Also, if you are enjoying this show and you like to give us a little bit of help, for about the price of a cup of coffee, you can contribute a lot. Go to www.scubobsess.com, click on the Patreon account, and um, give us a little something-something. And we'll give you something. We've got some bottles. Yeah. We, we'll do something for you. Yeah. It's, all you got to do is ask. Let's see. Do you have anything that you want to talk about? I did at some point. had I had a safety article, I thought, and I didn't see it in my, in my notes. Well, I, I was looking through some of the stuff. And a lot of this seemed to be repetitive, but it's repetitive because we're still screwing things up. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if you don't want to say the same thing, well, I've heard this before. Well, if we can get enough people to do it right, then maybe we won't have to talk about those. We'll do something different. But one of the comments a lot of people say when they start diving is, how likely are you to die scuba diving? Well, that's a cheery note. But yeah. anyway, according to Dan Alert Network, or Dan, from 2010, the diving fatality workshop, fatality occurs every one out of every 211,864 dives. Now, the most common contributing factors to diving fatalities ain't changing. The top three root causes to diving fatalities are pre-existing disease or pathology in the diver. And part of that is people are getting old and they're still diving. Number two is buoyancy, poor buoyancy control, period. And then three is rapid ascent or violent water movement. And poor buoyancy control often is a causal for number three, rapid ascent. They, the aspect, they talk about it saying, all three are completely avoidable. In fact, if a diver respects the safe diving practices taught during basic scuba training, none of these factors should ever be a problem. And they talked about, for example, during diver training, prospective divers are given a diving medical questionnaire, which, if answered truthfully, keyword, should bring up any medical problems that could predispose a diver to injury or death, such as lung disease, heart issues. Of course, some divers do lie on the medical release forms and ignore the warning not to dive with, you know, counter, you know, if it's counter to your condition and or self-medication. Further, a diver may develop a medical condition that is contradictory to, you know, diving, and you should sort of adhere to not diving, but people do. So review the scuba diving medical questionnaire periodically. Take it serious, even after becoming a certified diver. Part of that, of course, is a lot of the older people who do dive and live like in Florida, it's not as dangerous for them because they're diving all the time, not once every year. You know what I'm saying? Because it's if you're in physical shape, the age is not necessarily the factor there. 
Uh, the other item talked about is poor buoyancy control is an issue with many divers, even those who've been diving for many years. And they, they say, who's to blame? Is it really the dive instructor or is it the people who ignore the requirements for proper weighting and the techniques for being able to be motionless without touching the bottom or stirring up the bottom with their fins? They said, in either case, plenty of certified divers no longer or never did understand how a buoyancy, buoyancy compensator works, how pressure changes on the scent and the scent affect buoyancy. And it says, if the subject is in the least bit unclear, the diver should take control of the situation and practice his buoyancy control techniques. It said, the rapid ascents are frequently due to poor buoyancy control. In some cases, divers simply panic and rocket to the surface. This is simply unacceptable. If water in a diver's mask makes him panic, they should be practicing flooding and cleaning the mask in a pool until it's routine and you don't freak out. If a buddy constantly strays so far he's impossible to alert in an out-of-air emergency, get a new buddy. Better yet, have redundancy equipment. Better yet, look at your freaking gauges, people, and come up. Don't do this. Well, I got enough to just get me to the surface. I like the one-third. One-third down, one-third roam around, one-third reserve. So... They, they say from that aspect, we're our own worst enemy. Also add, though, if the water is so rough that water movement is going to be an issue, don't dive, or you should end the dive at the moment the difficult current surge or chop is experienced. And we know how tiring it is. You can get off a boat pretty freaking easy. But getting back on that boat when it's rocking and rolling, especially when you're tired, maybe you got a little short on your deco, you're really stressing yourself out, maybe you shouldn't have got in the water in the first place. So Dan's report goes on to explain that some of the leading contributing factors to dive fatalities are still buddy separation, inadequate training for the dive being attempted, meaning diving something beyond your capabilities or training. Both of these are violations of standard safe diving guidelines. So that's my nickel for the day. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, the those conditions are what we keep seeing. And uh, that first one is the one that I'm always afraid of that will come and get me. Well, you know, how many times have you been out there and dove in a three-foot chop? Now, when I was younger, it wasn't a big deal because we put the, you know, the lines over, you, you snackle on the line, get out of your gear, no gear, easy to climb on board. But you start getting older, you know, <laughs> some of us. Yeah. Uh, that's a huffing a puffing. So in my case, I like river diving. I can walk in, walk out. Your turn. I agree. I that's that's what I'm I was just thinking. Uh I mean my as I get older I do dive a lot less than I used to, but the dives I make are less challenging because I I my mind keeps want me to do something I my I know my body can't do anymore. It's like I date the boat across when we're doing the river dives now. I don't try to swim across to and from because some days that's all you're going to do is go across, be tired, get your wind back, and go back across. You didn't gain anything. You jeopardized yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's so, there's no there's, there's nothing to prove. Uh, right. It, right. No sense wearing yourself out trying to go across. And there's been a few times where I, I'll – 
I'll look and eh, the current's not moving that quick, and you'll get in there and uh, and and, you, and a lot of times it's the same thing with temperature, it's with current, it's with with exertion. Is you have to have enough to make it back. So the best time to call it is very early on. Don't get yourself in a situation. Yeah, but uh, when you're halfway back and you're having to take a breather to get the other half. You really need to go back to the shoreline, not back to the other side. Yes. Because you still got double that distance back again, and you're already tired. Yeah. Yeah, and then you, you're, once you start getting tired, your air goes quicker and all sorts of complications. Yeah, and, 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 you're, and you're afraid to do the key item is get rid of the freaking weight, inflate your BC, get on the surface of your – you can breathe, and let the current carry you down and get out at Maramont. Yeah, and, and and we're in a river where there are new objects all the time place themselves across it. Potential snags, stumps, trees that have drifted down since the last time you've been in the water. Uh, you don't want to discover those the wrong way. And especially when you're low on air. Yep. So, yeah, that, that's that's the big one for me is this, the getting in condition. And uh, Well, you know, because we do a lot of solo work out there. I mean, yeah. one, the visibility is low, and once you get in a plume, you can't see. Uh, what I've been doing, though, I've been doing something a little different lately because of that reason. I've been carrying a sonar alert with me. Yeah, well, that makes nice sense. Well, it's one of those items that with Big John, it's like, okay, if you hear that, come up, find my flag, go to my flag, come down. That's either two reasons. One, I'm trapped. <laughs> I yeah. could use some help. Or there's something really big down here and you want to see it. Or I need help getting it up. You know, in which case you also want to come. So... And I, I did that deliberately for that same reason. What if I'm down there and everybody's on the boat and you don't know I'm ready to go because I'm, I'm still down there? You're going, damn it, Mac. You know, you've been on that tank an hour and a half. Come on. So I, I'm trying to make it a little easier for somebody to know I've got a problem if I have one. And I was talking about we should do a review on, on products. That product sort of sucks. It says good for 100 feet. Doesn't happen that way. Yeah, you can't always trust it. No, and we also still really do need to get a recall system when we're out on the big lake. We do. We don't really have a good system, I don't think, for for a recall. And it's not so bad when we got two people, but if you got a group out there like we sometimes have on shallower wrecks, a recall system would be nice that everybody could hear at the same time. Because you don't want to be on the boat waiting for the rebreather guys an hour later to come up. No. No, and some of them that we've used in the past, such as revving an engine, they're not always really clear. And if you haven't talked about it in advance, you might not be aware of that's what it's supposed to be for. Right, and that's why you call it dive planning. Something that simple. What is a recall? Well, I think you got your hour full, that's for sure, today. Yeah, I think we did. Oh, let's see. Do we have anything we want to plug? Uh, Kevin would be telling us to uh, support our local libraries. And librarians. Yes. Male or female. Yes. We're, we're not picky. And oh. they can identify however they want to. They're, we, we love our librarians. Also the libraries, too. I guess yeah, you need the librarians need a library to work out of. Yep. And support your local dive shops. You know, as much as things are great to get online, uh, nothing beats going into a dive shop and being able to see 
what it is you're buying and get some expert advice from the professionals who obviously love the sport because they're certainly not doing it for the money. Yeah, and get air because if you didn't have the dive shops, the majority of people do not have their own compressors or their their own air banks or tin tanks that you could afford to go, you know, wait a little while before you got air. Yeah, that's the other alternative is that you have to stock up on air tanks and Hey, when I go up north, I have at least eight tanks ready to roll. There you go. You need to because you can't get them filled on a Sunday. And if you've been driving late Saturday, you're you're kind of in a stuck position. Yeah, but we are fortunate that a number of our people do have their own air banks and both electric and gas-powered compressors. That in those cases, when we've been up north, we always have a backup for air. And those guys are blending nitrox now, too. Fancy, fancy, fancy. Well, are you ready for that time of the show? Absolutely. Okay, let's see. I'm going to get it all queued up here. Uh, going past all the ones we've done begin- before, and and uh, here, here's a good one. So here we go. Three, three guys were talking in a local bar. The manager was so sure that the bouncer was the strongest man around that it offered standing $1,000 bet that no one could beat him. The challenger was that bouncer would squeeze a lemon until the juice ran out into a beer glass, then hand a lemon to a customer. Anyone who could squeeze even one more drop out of the lemon would win the money. Over the years, many people tried this. Truck drivers, weightlifters, karate masters, they had all failed. One day, a geeky little fellow with a heavy black rim glasses came into the bar and asked if he could try the challenge. After the laughter subsided and the landlord said that it was only fair that the man be given a chance at the bed, he picked up the lemon and started squeezing. Once he had done, he handed the, little, the remains to the little man who promptly squeezed four more drops of juice onto the bar. Everyone looked in amazement as the landlord handed over the prize and asked, What do you do for a living that's given you such strength? Are you a construction worker, a weightlifter, or what? No, the man replied. I work for the IRS. I thought that was a turnip. <laughs> I don't know too Isn't many to bars who are, who, are, who are serving turnips. <laughs> yeah, that old, that old, Isn't that the old thing, though? Yeah. Blood from a turnip? Yeah, exactly. Or drops of liquid from a lemon. Yeah. <laughs> so until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Call recording is completed.